overall, the lower the debt service coverage ratio, the more money that you can get loaned to you. But then also the less wiggle room that you have because if net operating income drops too much, you won't be able to cover the debt service. You get foreclosed on and that's not a good thing. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode. And for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hello, best of listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndications. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. 
Each week, we air a podcast episode that focuses on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy, aka syndication school. And with a lot of these episodes, especially the first batch of episodes we released that went by the step-by-step process in order from not really even knowing what apartment syndications are to completing your first deal and selling it on the end and returning a big, fat, whopping check to your investors. He gave away free documents during those episodes. Uh, We gave away some free documents with the more recent episodes, but really every single series we did before had a free document. You'll definitely want to check that out. Those are at syndicationschool.com. And this episode is going to be part three of a three-part series. So we're wrapping up the series on multifamily lending. So this was a multifamily lending 101 course. Make sure you check out parts one and two, which have aired the previous two weeks, or if you're listening to this way in the future, seven-ish and 14-ish episodes ago since we released these episodes every week. So overall, this series is about understanding how to select the best loan for your apartment syndication deal. So in the first episode, we talked about the different type of lenders that you can use and then whether or not you should use these lenders or whether you should use a mortgage broker or what type of loan you should get, whether you should get a bridge loan or agency loan, and then when to actually engage your mortgage broker and your lender. And then in part two, we talked about how to qualify for agency loans. Since agency loans are usually going to be the best loans you can get on your standard value add syndication deal. So obviously there are a lot of exceptions uh, with the main one being if you plan on selling early and you don't want to pay a large prepayment penalty with an agency loan, you might consider getting a bridge loan and then either selling it or maybe refinancing it into an agency loan later on. But assuming you want to get an agency loan, how do you qualify for that? So we talked about in part two, the qualification process, which involves qualifying the borrower. So you, your partners, any big investors, any loan guarantors, really anyone who's signing on the loan or meets the criteria to be a borrower in the eyes of the agencies. What do they look at? What do you need in order to qualify for agency loan? And then assuming the borrower qualifies for agency debt, what types of properties? What are the characteristics of the actual deal itself that the agencies look at before giving debt on that property. So that was part two. And we also talked about some of the changes in the upfront reserves requirements due to the virus, as well as talked a little bit about the renovations on value added deals and how those could be included in the loan up to a certain dollar amount. Now, this last part, part three, we're going to wrap up and talk about very high level because we only got 20 minutes to talk about this. Very high level, how to compare different loan options, what the different factors for the loans mean when you're looking at them, what the terminology means and how to look at those numbers and those figures. So that's going to be what we talk about in this episode. So let's jump right into it. So the output of the loan, you input all these different loan terms. And the output is going to be a debt service. So the debt service is the technical term for the payment that is owed by the borrower to the lender each month. So when you're looking at a T12, for example, profit and loss statement, usually the debt service is not going to be on there because the debt service is below the net operating income line item. And usually the T12 will stop at 
net operating income. The reason why the debt service is obviously going to be very important is because the net operating income is used to calculate the value of the property. And so the type of loan you get won't necessarily affect the value of the property, but it will impact the cash flow that the property generates. And the cash flow that the property generates determines the returns to your investors. So you can have the exact same deal bought at the exact same price and two different investors execute the business plan flawlessly, get the exact same rents, get the exact same operating expenses. But the operator that can get the better loan terms is going to be able to distribute a higher ongoing cash and cash return to their investors. It's not going to change the value of the property. It's not going to change the sales proceeds. Well, actually, it might change the sales proceeds, but it's not going to change the overall value of the property. But the lower the debt service, the more cash flow the property is going to generate. Now, when you're comparing loan options, the lowest debt service isn't necessarily the best because of some of the caveats, some of the exceptions. For example, let's say that there's two investors and one investor's debt service is way lower than the other investor's debt service from the get-go. But maybe it's because of the fact that they have an I.O. loan or maybe it's because they have an adjustable interest rate. So you have two loans. One is a fixed interest rate. One's an adjustable interest rate. The adjustable interest rate starts lower than the fixed interest rate loan. So the debt service is lower at first. But if the interest rate goes up at the end of the business plan, the one with the floating rate might have paid more than the one with the fixed interest rate over the five, 10 year business plan. Whereas maybe the adjustable interest rate was better at, at first. And so there also might be higher closing fees for the one with the lower debt service. Maybe the loan not assumable. Maybe there's a really high prepayment penalty. So some of the other factors we're going to talk about later on in this episode, those are going to be different from loan to loan. So you can't just look at debt service. This is the entire point here. So I start off, okay, debt service is good. The lower the debt service, the more cash flow. But also there's other things to take into account as well, which we will, as I mentioned, talk about here in a second. But that's one thing to be aware of because of the fact that the cash flow is going to be dependent on the debt service. The next few terms to know, which aren't necessarily going to be something you're really comparing or not something that's super important because they're not going to be that different, which is the loan amount, which is going to be based off of LTV, which we'll talk about in a second. But this is basically how much money the lender is going to lend to you. There's also the loan term. So that is the number of months until the loan must be repaid in full. So generally speaking, on the loans with the shorter terms, you may have an option to to purchase an extension, especially when we're talking about like a bridge loan. But for the loan term, you're going to want the loan term, following the three immutable laws of real estate investing we've talked about in the past, to be at least twice as long as the value add business plan portion. So. If the plan is to renovate all the units and the renovation timeline is two years, then the loan term should be at at least four years. That way you aren't forced to sell or refinance before you've finished the value-add business plan. Generally speaking, the longer the term, the higher the interest rate is going to be. So it's kind of a fine line. Right? You don't want to get a 20-year term because you don't plan on holding on the deal for 20 years and you're going to pay more in interest than if you got maybe a five-year term when you plan on selling the deal after three, four, five years. So the longest term loan isn't necessarily the best, but then the shortest term loan also isn't the best. There's going to be a sweet spot, which is at least 2x the value at business plan. Next, amortization. So amortization and loan term are different. So the loan term is how many years until the loan needs to be paid back in full. The amortization is the time period that the principal and interest payments are spread over. 
So the longer the amortization, the lower the monthly payments are going to be, but also the higher the interest payments are going to be. So a 30-year amortized loan is going to have the lower debt service than a 15-year amortized loan. But in a 15-year amortized loan, when you look at the amortization schedule, you're paying more principal on that loan from day one than you are on the 30-year loan because the way that it works is an inverse relationship where in the beginning, you're paying mostly interest and a little bit of principal. And then towards the end, you're paying all principal and very little interest. So usually you can have an option. The loan will have an amortization like, hey, it'll be 30 years or 25 years or 20 years. So that's just something to kind of be aware of because you can know, okay, well, this amortization is longer, which means that I'm not going to have as much principal pay down. So I'm not going to be able to take advantage of that benefit of real estate investing, which is having residents pay down the principal. This next one is going to be one of those factors that might result in one loan having a lower debt service up front and then ultimately being higher overall at interest only. So an interest only period is going to be the number of months that the operator only pays interest payments. And then once this interest only period is over, the principal and interest payments are going to be due. So you need to pay both. So interest only obviously going to be lower than the principal and interest. Now, the main benefit of the interest-only period is the increase in cash flow, which results in a higher IRR because investors are getting more money faster. And this increase in cash flow is even more beneficial on value-add deals because of the fact that you can immediately begin sending distributions to your investors upon closing because your debt service is lower while your cash flow is lower because you haven't forced the rents yet. Now, there are a few drawbacks. There's no principal paydowns. You're not getting that benefit which might also impact future supplemental loans or refinance proceeds, which could ultimately reduce the IRR because you're not able to give a large chunk of capital back to your investors sooner. And then once the interest-only period expires, the debt service is going to pop up. And so you might have a fixed interest rate loan of, say, 4.5%, and they're paying principal and interest from day one. Or you might have a fixed interest rate loan at 6% with interest only that's 4%. So at first, it's better than the 4.5% loan, but then once it expires, it goes up to 6% with principal and interest, and you're paying more. Well, I guess it wouldn't be exactly like that, but I'm saying you might have two loans. One's a 6% interest rate loan. One's a 4.5% interest rate loan. And the 4.5% interest rate loan, you might have a higher debt service if you're paying principal and interest compared to a 6% interest-only loan. But once that interest-only loan goes to principal and interest, then it's going to be higher than that 4.5% loan. I know what's nice is that the more experience you have, the longer interest-only period you can get. And so you might have to worry about this second drawback. And then the third drawback could be that an unsophisticated investor might do a bad deal because they say, oh, well, I've got two years interest-only. This deal's cash flow and so much money. Let's go ahead and buy this deal without realizing that, oh, year three, it shoots up. And then now the cash flow went from 7% down to like 2%. And now my investors are mad at me. I did a whole episode on interest-only loans. So you can check that out at syndicationschool.com. Next is going to be the debt service coverage ratio. And so this is a ratio of net operating income to the debt service. So the debt service is your monthly payment. And so it's basically saying, okay, well, what percentage of the debt service is the net operating income? Usually it's 1.25%. So the net operating income needs to be 125% of the debt service in order for them to give you a loan. And then sometimes the higher the debt service coverage ratio, the better loan term you're going to get. And then certain loans might have different types of loan terms for different windows of debt service coverage ratios. And this also might determine how much they're going to loan to you. So they look at the net operating income and they'll say, okay, well, you can get 
debt service up to a certain number. And then based off of that, let's reverse engineer how much we actually loan to you on the deal. And so overall, the lower the debt service coverage ratio, the more money that you can get loaned to you. But then also the less wiggle room that you have, because if net operating income drops too much, you won't be able to cover the debt service. You get foreclosed on, and that's not a good thing. Another thing to think about is the interest rate, which we've kind of hinted at already, but this is the rate the lender charges you to borrow their money. And the two different types of interest rates are going to be fixed or floating. So I kind of talked about that before, where fixed, it's going to be the same no matter what. Floating, it could go up, it could go down. And it usually starts off lower than the fixed interest rate, but doesn't necessarily mean it's going to remain lower. So if the interest rate is floating, you want to know what's the floating interest rate tied to, how long is it updated. Right now, it's usually based off of the one-month LIBOR rate, but I know in 2021, at some point, it's going to change to something else. So you can take a look at that trend of that index to guesstimate if the interest rate is going to go up or down based off of previous trends. Again, it's impossible to know for sure, but at least to give you a better understanding of whether you can expect interest rates to go up if they've been rising for a long time or to continue to go down or at least not go up too much. And then for the floating interest rate, you can also buy a cap, which is helpful and reduces the risk. And so you basically pay an upfront fee and it says, okay, my interest rate will not go higher than 100 basis points or 200 basis points or 500 basis points or whatever. So this is ideal regardless if you're doing a floating rate loan. That way interest rate doesn't explode and go too crazy. And then also going to want to know for these loans when the rate actually locks in. And so if rates are all over the place, you'll want to be able to lock in the rate earlier rather than later in the due diligence. So kind of comparing the different loans between when the rate locks in, how much the cap costs, what the cap actually is for the floating rate are things to look at. We also have a syndication school episode or at least a blog post on fixed versus floating rate interest rates. So check that out. Some of the other things that are definitely important, but I think the most important ones are going to be the interest rate and the interest only period and the debt service and probably the loan term too. But these things are still important nonetheless. I skipped one, loan to value, which I've already talked about. That's the, the ratio of the loan amount um, to the appraised value of the apartment community. So how much money will they lend? So the higher the LTV, 80%, 85%, 90%, the more leveraged the deal, which means the less equity we have in the deal. This is good because you have to put down less money, which means the return to your investors is higher, but you also have less wiggle room and less cushion against any market fluctuation. So we always recommend to not go above 85% maximum, right? But ideally a little bit lower than that. But if you have to go super high, you really want to go super high and test it, 85% is the absolute max. And usually if you're looking at agency debt, you can't really go higher than that anyway. So it shouldn't be an issue. Okay, something else is recourse. So usually most loans are going to be non-recourse, which means that the people signing the loan aren't personally liable. So if something happens and the deal's foreclosed on, the lender can only go after the property. They can't go after the property and your home and your other properties in your portfolio and your wife, your wife's stuff or your husband's stuff or whatever, your family. Whereas a recourse, you are personally guaranteeing it. So they can come after your personal assets if something were to happen. So usually, as I mentioned, deals are going to be non-recourse with certain exemptions, certain carve-outs, like fraud, misrepresentation, or gross negligence. Or maybe, depending on your background, you might not have the track record, the financials to qualify for non-recourse loan. But again, ideally, to reduce your risk, you're going to want non-recourse. Some other things you want to think about are lender reserves and then tax and insurance escrows. 
So these are going to be things that are acquired up front by the lender. And so maybe the lender wants you to pay for the first years of taxes and insurance up front, even though they're only paid on a quarterly or a monthly basis. Or maybe they're going to be monthly instead. You pay them along with your debt service. If escrows are required, then you're going to have to raise more money for that loan, which means that the cash on cash return is going to be lower. Same thing with lender reserves, which we kind of talked about in part two upfront, but there's also going to be ongoing lender reserves as well. So again, these are operating expenses that are going to lower your cash flow. So you're going to want to think about when you can access these funds as well, because that's also going to vary. So then the other terms that are going to be important on the loan are going to be prepayment penalties. And so comparing the prepayment penalty amounts as well as when they come into effect. So when are you allowed to exit the loan without paying a fee, basically? So this is one of the reasons why bridge loans might be more advantageous to than agency debt if you plan on selling before the end of the prepayment period because if you're talking like a $50 million deal and it's got a 2% prepayment penalty, well, that's a million dollars that you're losing right off the bat, right? 2%. So that's a pretty big deal. So you're going to understand how the prepayment penalties work on their property as well as another term is going to be is the loan assumable because that's something that is attractive to buyers on the back end, especially if loan terms are less advantageous now than when you bought the property. So they can just take over your interest rate. That could be something that's attractive. So if the loan isn't assumable, that might be something that you want to consider. Something else to think about is how these supplemental loans work. So a supplemental loan is a secondary loan you can take out on top of the existing mortgage. Usually it's a year after the first mortgage. But the LTVs might be different. The fees associated with it might be different. The number you can take might be different. So that's something you want to think about as well. And then a few other things like financing fees is another upfront cost. How much does it cost to get the loan? Certain loans, there's like streamlined loans that the agencies have that have lower fees. So again, that's more money upfront that lowers the cash on cash return. And then this isn't something that's necessarily going to be a deal breaker for a deal. Just something else to think about when it comes to debt is their reports that are required. And so some lenders might require more due diligence reports, which again is a higher cost to you upfront. So a lot going on there for a lot of these terms. I defined them in this episode, but you also have them defined on the passive investing resources site on joefairless.com. And then for a lot of these like prepayment penalties, assumable loans, supplemental loans, the due diligence reports, fixed rate versus floating interest rates, pros and cons of interest only periods. We've written blog posts on the past and or we've done syndications to Globus. So if you type in those words into joefairless.com, you'll come across a lot more resources than that because this is already a 25-minute episode and I could keep going on and on and on. So those are some of the things to think about when you are comparing loans, other things to look at, to compare, to determine which loan is ultimately going to cost you more and which loan comes with a higher risk. And the loan that's going to be best for you, based off of these terms, is going to vary from deal to deal. So I try to, as much as possible, mention when that's the case, which of these facts are most important. And kind of looking through these, this list of facts, I'd say that the loan term is obviously going to be important. The interest-only period is going to be very important. The interest rate section is going to be important. And then depending on the business plan, prepayment penalties, is it assumable? And the supplemental loans is also going to be good. And then things like taxes and insurance escrows, lender reserves, financing fees, the required reports, those are all going to affect the down payment that you have to give for things that aren't necessarily going to result in an ROI. 
So I think that's it. Make sure you check out the top loan programs free document that you can find in the show notes of this episode. And make sure you check out parts one and two because this concludes the Multifamily Lending 101 course. So I hope you learned something. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at Theo at JoeFairless.com. No one's taken me up on this yet. I give my email address out on the show every once in a while and no one's emailed me yet. So <laughs> I'm willing to answer really any question you have. So that's Theo at JoeFairless.com. So thank you for tuning in. Make sure you check out our other Syndication School series episodes at syndicationschool.com. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting-edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.